Welcome to Globetrotterina podcast with me, Katarina, who is traveling around the world and sharing my travel stories and my thoughts and feelings about my travels on this podcast as an alternative for my diaries that I've been writing my whole time since I started traveling. And now my bag is getting very, very heavy because of all the notebooks and therefore I wanted to start this podcast to share with my future self and also for you all who wants to listen. Super, super welcome. Today I want to take you back about two and a half years and to me it feels like ages ago. I was on a flight on my way from Doha to Kathmandu in Nepal. I was super lucky. I got upgraded to business class. So when I'm arriving at two o'clock in the morning, I feel very fresh, believe it or not. I was going to take my backpack that they checked in for me, although it's a carry-on. And when I get to the airport, which is very, very small in comparison to the boom of people coming there. There are just so many people coming there and the airport is so tiny and the airplanes are so big. So when I arrived, I had to spend a very long time to find my luggage. And I also had a layover on the way there from Istanbul to Qatar and then to Nepal. So I wasn't really sure if my bag was going to make it. This is like finding a needle in a haystack because it was not only crowded on a carousel, it was full of luggage and boxes and different kind of baggage everywhere on this arrival hall. To be honest, I've never seen anything like it. And it took me some time before I found my bag along other bags. So I think it found some friends on the way to hang out with. Meanwhile, I was going to get it. I had booked a hotel super, super close to the airport so that I thought I could walk there without any problem. Because when up on arrival, usually I don't use the ATM all the time in the beginning and I usually don't have any cash until a little bit further notice. And I don't also want to be ripped off like in the middle of the night to get pissed as a start of a country. So fair enough, I took a couple of steps. It was probably less than 100 meters from the airport and I went to my hotel. I started walking. I was terrified of street dogs that they were going to bark and eat me up on the way. But I think if I remember correctly, there were not even any dogs on the way there. No street lights either. So it was very dark and I was very grateful to have some charge on my phone so that I can use my flashlight to light up because there was a huge hole on the sidewalk that I could easily have fallen into that was just open and I don't know where in the world I would end up if I would fall in there. Perhaps maybe it was the gateway to Sweden. Who knows? Upon arriving in a new country, especially if I wake up the day after when I arrived, I just love the feeling when I'm still in bed, opening my eyes, super, super excited to discover the new place I am. And that's exactly what I did after breakfast where I was listening to some really, really wonderful sounded like Bollywood music, but it could have been Nepalese too. I took my way all the way to the center, city center of Kathmandu, where I also changed to a different accommodation. I checked in early and I was listening to some conversations of the people that were there. 
they were talking about how a flight in the mountains got cancelled day after day after day and that was one of the flights that I was gonna get on to get to the Everest base camp region. That is a completely story I will tell in a different podcast that needs and deserves its own episode. Kathmandu, I walk out and houses are very, very close and tied to each other. The streets are narrow and the dust from them, from the unpaved roads are everywhere. They get into your nose and you cannot stop yourself from sneezing. Therefore, they put face masks on your hotel in case you need it. And at that time, face masks were something really, really unusual for me to see. Everywhere you can see cables hanging, the electricity cables hanging from one side of the house to the next one in so huge bunches, meters wide and wide and just hanging from one house to the next or on poles. And it looks like the biggest tangle and task you could ever see. I have seen a couple of you people working with this complete huge bird's nest of cables and I'm still just in in like a big question mark <laughs> thinking about how this actually works. Everyone once in a while there's a monkey jumping from one of the cables to the next one. They can easily travel without even having to make a big leap from one balcony all the way to the vegetable market. The salesmen are very used to this and try to get away with them as soon as possible. But the monkeys, they go back and then they think about a different way how they can reach that beautiful piece of fruit that they want to have squeezed in between all the vegetables. You can barely see the houses because all the shops are just so close to each other. So when you walk, please listen to the advice that I usually give and that I really like to do myself is to look up when I walk. When you look up, you can see the different colors of the houses. They are in pink and green, light blue. They are in different heights. Some of them have balconies, some of them have small windows and some of them have big windows. And the architecture is different from one to the other. But don't look up too, too long, which will probably result in you walking into someone or into a market stand. You might even be hit by a Vespa on the way or a scooter. There might even be a dog that you might hit. So full attention when walking. It's people everywhere. And the women with their long, thick black hair that is hanging over the beautiful, colorful sari. It's so wonderful to see. There are so many colors everywhere. And the women on the street really adds to this beautiful picture in Kathmandu. I see a woman making donuts directly on the ground. She has her little picnic kitchen, or what do you call a gasoline kitchen? And she has a um, pot with hot oil. She makes beautiful little dough circles. She dips them into the hot oil. She then puts them in another bowl with sugar, where she turns them from one side to the other, 
and then on a piece of newspaper for her to make a couple of extra money that day. It's the most beautiful way to see it working that way when it is so simple. The next thing I see is a temple and this temple is for the god of tooth of teeth. It's a mini temple and there are just a lot of cars around but if you stop here and have a coin with a hole in a needle and a hammer don't worry you will not have any problems with your teeth anymore because you can ask the tooth gods to work for your benefit and you don't have any risk to have any problems with your teeth anymore at least they say i can walk around forever in Kathmandu without even thinking about what time it is just to be blown away by the things I see in front of me, the very, very bright colors, the smells of the food and fruit and vegetables they are selling, the incense from the temple, all the traffic and the people. And I just love walking around and embrace the whole city. I really, really love Kathmandu so much. It really, really breaks my heart to hear about the big, big earthquake that they had in 2015. And I think it's a miracle that so many buildings are still standing. Because I've read that this earthquake moved the Mount Everest, which is 200 kilometers away, 3 centimeters towards, or if it was the west or the north or somewhere, it doesn't matter. It moved it 3 centimeters. So you can just imagine how strong this earthquake in Nepal was. Imagine that all the cables, the clocks, the pipes on the water, the cables, everything that was under, under the city that you don't see was completely ruined in the earthquake. And what you can see when you walk around in the city is that it's very, very, very dusty. And this is because there are not all, all roads aren't ready to be paved yet because not all the pipes and cables and everything is back again the way it was before. In most of the shops around Kathmandu, where they have still not paved the roads or the streets, you can find a dustpan nearby so they can dust off the little layer of dust that takes away the brightness of the colors of the things that the salesman wants to sell. There are approximately one million people living in Kathmandu and it's called the City of Temples. And it wasn't until the 50s that the city or the country opened up for the world. And it was almost completely isolated from the world before. In the 70s, there it became a very popular travel destination. And you can really, really see and feel the hippie vibes still there. You can see it in the name of things like shops and stuff you can see it in the people living there you can see it in the clothes that they sell there are so many dream catches everywhere peace signs and you will see it in many many different ways it has a very very soft feeling to it and a lot of people is asking me how you could compare it to india and although i'm not the biggest fan of comparing i can say that i immediately felt when I landed in Kathmandu that it felt like India light. So for you who is not really loving to go to India but want to feel a little bit of how it feels there, Nepal is the place for you. 
on our walk through Tamil, the most touristy part of Kathmandu, there are a couple of different typical shops that you will find here. You will find the outdoor shops and the outdoor shops have everything for the people who's gonna go for a trek or perhaps even climb a mountain. They have huge thick jackets for very very cold climates and for being Swedish seeing this with my own eyes and thinking wow those are some of the thickest jackets I've seen in my life is something really big to say. And they of course also have the ice shoes with a lot of spikes sticking out, duffel bags, jackets, pants, anything. You can either buy and you can also rent a lot of the things there. So if you're uh, planning on going to Nepal and don't have all the equipment that you want or need, you have tons of places you can rent it for. And also if you want to keep it with you, you can also buy it there. Then we have the souvenir shops. They have many versions of the Mount Everest and of course all the different goddess and gods and in Nepal magnets and lots of different kinds of arts and then we have the clothing shops and the clothing shops are very very intense forget about the sleek modern style here you will get from top to toe with dots and stripes in all colors of the world and nowhere to rest your eyes on the outfits. But it's super fun. It's really, really colorful and the bags are just living so many lives at the same times. And it's really fun if you want to find something very unique. And then you have the, the shops with all the scarves that they should say is silk or cashmere or all these beautiful different kinds of fabric that you really, really don't know if it actually is. Or if they just uh, spicing up the truth a little bit to sell you a scarf for a slightly higher price than perhaps you shouldn't. But people here are very, very nice. And I just want you to take into one of my favorite shops. It was in one of this last shop on this street after a corner. And I just walk into this ocean of dream catchers and my face just walks into a lot of dream catchers into a very very small shop where I get greeted by a wonderful woman. I tell her that I really like her shop because of all the necklaces and jewelries in there. She has shells that has been decorated into beautiful pieces of decoration for your home and everything in there is just so so nice. So I start talking to her and she tells me that she has a daughter and she has named the daughter Christmas to sound, make it sound almost like Christmas because that's her favorite holiday of the year. One day I meet her daughter and we become very good friends. And not very too long ago, she invited me to Nepal, but a little slightly bit too, too soon to the wedding. She wrote to me that in a couple of days I will get married. So please come to Nepal if you can. Now it's open, so please, show, please, if you can, come here. <laughs> I would love, of course, to show up. She's a lovely sister from the world uh, that I have been gaining on my travels. And she even took me on her Vespa to the airport when I was going to leave the country. So next time I come to Nepal, I would, of course, like to meet her. I have met so many wonderful people in Nepal and in Kathmandu. Kathmandu. 
people that I still have in my life. And everywhere in the world, I, I met people from everywhere in the world. And I'm just so, so happy to have them in my life. And a couple of them I've been back to meet again. In Tamil, you will find a lot of wonderful restaurants that serve incredible food for a very, very affordable price. If you haven't tried them yet, you should definitely try Momo's, which is the, the, the Nepalese equivalent to dumplings. And they are stirred with a very, very good sauce as well. There are different kinds of dumplings. I took a dumpling cooking class when I was in Nepal. I did some with the potato and cheese and one with just vegetables. And then we made a sauce with chili and peanut butter and a lot of spices in there. And they are just fantastic and super easy to make if you want to make them at home. After lunch, I continued to Durba Square. And Durba Square is the, I would say, the cultural city center of Kathmandu. And this is a place with a lot of temples and it was also previously the home of the royal family which I will go back to a little bit and a couple of other things. The architecture is really beautiful because the roofs has sort of a little bend on the end and goes out like kind of far. So the floor under has the roof as a protection for their level and then that level has the same so it looks like a pavilion if that makes sense, like um, this layer upon layer roofs that I really find so beautiful. These different kinds of building, they are partly wood and partly brick, and they have been here for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I said, it's full of temples, packed with different kinds of temples, but also the palace for the royal family used to be here as well. But now there's no family, sorry, there's no royal family left. And this is something, if you would like to look into a little bit more, this is a very tragic yet very interesting story about the royal family in Nepal that I am really surprised to not have heard anything about in the news when I grew up because it's not so, so far ago. Because in the very beginning of the 2000s, there was a massacre in the royal family. And since uh, ever since they have not had um, a royal family, and the monarchy has been like they don't have monarchy there since 2008 but all around these uh, palaces and the temples there are a lot of artifacts left and i saw one of these beautiful mini version of cinderella wagons that you definitely know that it's been some princess or princesses sitting inside and it was just a little like a little division between like behind this very thin piece of glass I could see these beautiful things and I really wanted to see how old they were because it was really hard to look at them and determine an age because they could be extremely old or not so old but they felt very very special and curious as I am I wanted to check out the deer the year when they were uh, like when they were used so when I look on this, um, I'm actually inside of a, a yard that belonged to the royal castle. And you can see also here traces from the earthquake because on this yard, there's a big, big, uh, like you can see that they're building or restoring or 
um, renovating a huge, huge um, part of the building since the earthquake. So it's always there to remind you of the earthquake. And this is when I was there, it was three and a half years after the earthquake. So when I'm looking for the information about this beautiful little Cinderella wagon, I look at the date and I realize that they have a completely different way of counting years. It just didn't make sense at all. Around the same area, you can really, really get your moral tested and uh, you can walk into another little, little tiny yard with very old buildings around. And there you will see a living goddess. I think every day she's looking out through the window. This is really a shock for me culturally. And I think it is for a lot of people. But please don't judge it in a bad way. Because we're all different. For some people it's really, really weird that people have dogs inside of their houses. And that makes no sense. And while it's super normal for others. So... I just want you to open up and not judge it like completely. Open up and see differences instead. This is called Kumari. And uh, this is a very, very young little girl that has a lot of um, qualifications it has to live up to. So for example, I know that there is a saying called that the woman, the little girl should have eyelashes like a camel or elephant, I don't remember which one, um, chest like a lion, legs like a deer, um, a neck like a conch shell, and a couple of other things. She also has to be born in the right time of the year, so astrology-wise. And she also has to go through a procedure. If she, has, if she can fill up all of these requests, she will um she will see i think this is how it goes she will see 105 or 101 dead cows and goats and they will be sacrificed and the heads the like the heads after the animals she will spend one whole night alone in the same house with and if she doesn't get scared then she can become the Komari. And then she is the Komari for a couple of years. And then uh, in her teens or before that, she um, is done. So she's only uh, this for a couple of years. And then they say that if a Komari gets married, her husband will die, unfor- like for unfortunate, not like of age later on life, but the husband will die, which is a curse that they say, but it's not true. Um, but this is very, very strong things, like culturally strong things, and it's been there for so long. And you can find mo- like YouTube movies, and there's a movie made out of this also as well. Komaris is really something interesting to look into. And um, of course, it's really strong morally for me to talk about this, but I want you to know about it rather than not. And I'm trying to not be judging towards other people's culture, but of course it is a little bit tricky one. Because it seems like this Kumari, is, it takes a lot for her to become to the position that she is. 
but for her to get out of it she basically gets thrown out of it and then I don't know if she can ever pick it up again to become sort of a person that she could be without having to do this when she's a kid so if this is really something interesting for you Komari is what you should search for when I was there, there was a guy who, uh, as soon as the Komari came out, because we were waiting there a little bit before she op they opened the windows for her so that we could see her, there was this, uh, we got, um, we, we were told very strictly that we were not allowed to take any pictures or videos at all. And uh, so the security guards were around us and very close to me, there is a guy as soon as the windows open so that we should, could see the um, Kumari, this guy takes pictures of her and the security guards goes directly to him, starts yelling, he, they take his camera and they have to close the windows for the Kumari so nothing happens and he gets thrown out so he cannot come in back again. And they take his camera and they take the film out, the camera film. And then it takes some time. They're just repeating the whole procedure again, telling everyone about you're not allowed to take any pictures or making any videos. And then uh, she comes out again. So this is really strict. If you want to eat something other fantastic that I really, really like in Nepal, it's super affordable and you got re uh, free refills. And I will call it, I think, a lot of people with me. I just don't know if everyone in Nepal would agree. But I would call this the national dish of Nepal. And it's called dalbat. Dalbat is a lentil soup that is served with rice and other side dishes. And how wonderful isn't it that it's a free refill. And this is especially great when you're doing any kind of trekking. And that's a lot of people in uh, Nepal doing that. And it's served in basically every local cuisine uh, restaurant. And it's so delicious with all their spices. So that's a very, very strong recommendation. If you go to Nepal, you have not had the real experience if you haven't had dalbat. This day I had a dish in front of me that was not momos nor dalbat. It was a... Okay, so just a plate, a cup... Um, Around there were a couple of vegetable dishes and the middle had a big pile of something of white flakes, completely dry. These white flakes I had in a restaurant, kind of far up on a, one of the rooftops where you could see the whole Durba Square in front of you. But when the wind picked up, I got fewer and fewer of these white flakes that were so dry and uh, made them look like confetti falling down on the town. The whole day in Kathmandu, I just walk around, I'm listening to the music from the music shops. That is very, very rarely one of the few places in the world where I can just pass by almost exactly any kind of music shop and I just love the music that they play. It's my kind of music they play. And then all the smells from the incense, from the temples, the freshly uh, fried donuts, the vegetable markets, the people's kind and smiling faces, all the colors of the fabrics, and all the smells from the cars, the sounds from the birds, the attention from the monkeys. It's just so much going on everywhere and all the time in Kathmandu.
in Nepal, I met a person who's working a lot with charity and he is uh, in Nepal a lot. And when I met him, I saw that he had a lot of things to do and he was very stressed when he was going to leave to go home to his home country. And when I had one day in Kathmandu when I had nothing else to do or anything planned or whatever, I texted him saying, hey, I have a day in Kathmandu. I have no idea what to do. Is there anything I can do for you? He asked me to buy a soft toy. I found a monkey and to give it to a woman in a cafe. She wasn't there when I gave it to her. So I, I wrote her a little letter and said that it was from him. And then the second part was he won he sent me a picture of a person and he sent me a like um picture of the street view on Google Maps and he said go to this place it's right in front of the hostel uh the place where we met and um teach him how to make peanut butter Eventually, I find a place where I'm supposed to go, which is directly across from my accommodation, which is super easy. There's like the street design has changed since the picture was taken, which made it a little bit trickier. So I find a little path where I'm going in and then I'm starting searching for the man of my pictures. And I find someone who knows where his son is. So this person takes me to his son. And the son is working in a travel agency and he has sometimes has some Swedish clients. So he could say a couple of words in Swedish. Then he takes me to his father. The son explains for, to his father why I'm there. And uh, very soon the father goes away to the market to buy some fresh peanuts. And when he comes back, we start roasting them, roasting them. And they become this beautiful brownish... And we put some salt together and then we start mixing them with the other ingredients. And the reason why we're doing this is because it's a lack of, of peanut butter in Nepal. And it's the best kind of trekking food you can have. And that they don't have it there, it means there's an actual place for growth. And this man is definitely in need of some extra cash and... This would be such a great opportunity for him to have a little bit more in his pocket. And that's why my friend wanted him to do it. And that's why I ended up going there in the first place. Isn't just that was such a wonderful thing to be able to get the opportunity to help with. When uh, the sun is going down slowly, I am going to a place called Pushpatinat. And Pushpatinat is what I would call a mini Varanasi. And Varanasi for me is the most interesting place I've ever been to. This is the place in India by the Ganges River, the holy river in India, where they have the most lively place I've ever been to. But they also have the cremation scene, the public cremation scene. I have heard a lot of different stories about this place and I couldn't help myself from going there and experience it with my own eyes. And before I went to Varanasi, I went to Pushpatinat in Nepal. This is Sagmata River running all the way from the Everest region all the way to Kathmandu. And from Kathmandu, it keeps going all the way to northern India. And then that part of the river becomes the Ganges, when they all meet together in India. 
in Pushpatinath, they, I could just see the little part of the river while the sun was going down and changed the color of the sky. I saw the embers from the fires that had been burning for a couple of hours. And the embers had the same colors as the turban and the clothes of the holy man or holy priest that they call sadhus. They have an orange turban and orange clothes. Sometimes they're walking with a stick and sometimes they have very, very big beard and moustaches. And they can look at you in a very, very deep way, a strong way, with their very piercing eyes. And sometimes it feels like they're looking right into you. When the sun has set and the embers slowly, slowly gets darker and darker until there's nothing left. It's so dark here that it's time to move to the next place. And I jump into a taxi to go a couple of kilometers to a different part of town where they have a completely circular square, a very, very beautiful religious place for the Buddhists. It's called Bodnat and it's a stupa. A stupa is a circular building with sort of like, I wouldn't say a tower on the top, but it has, it's built a layer upon layer. And um, this is one of the beautiful stupas that are around the world and this one is painted white and has a golden top and eyes painted between the white and the golden part here you can walk in a big big circle around the whole stupa and there are so many buddhist monks around so they can show you what way you should walk some people walk in the opposite direction because they don't know what direction to walk in. But here's a little hint for you how to know what direction to walk in. When it's dark there, they light candles everywhere. And you can hear music from the music shops around and also the chanting monks. It's quiet in a very peaceful way. Although sometimes you can hear a little bit of singing or music. When walking around here, there's almost like a fence with prayer wheels, which are cylindric metal or sometimes wooden um, messages written on wheels so you can spin them. And what I understand is that people spin them to make the prayers alive. So when you walk around this big, big stupa, it takes, I would say, it takes a couple of minutes for sure. And on the way, you can walk as slow and fast as you can. And there's a beautiful pace just to check in with other people. And you can spin the prayer wheels on the way. And the prayer wheels also has a beautiful sound with bells with it. So when you feel the metal on your hands, you hear clocks around you, you smell incense, you hear chanting monks. You're surrounded by monks in this beautiful, deep, deep red color. It's such a beautiful way to end the day, to calm down before it's time for you to go back 
rest your head on the pillow and collecting your thoughts from the big day that you had when you learned so many new things about waking up in Kathmandu for the first time, seeing the donuts being made, all the streets and shops, having some wonderful food, walking around through the shops, taking yourself to the historical center of Kathmandu, and then going to Pushpatinath, and then end here. It's one of the most peaceful places I've ever been to in a city, and I can't wait to go back. And I can't wait to wake up next morning in Kathmandu, because waking up in the morning in Kathmandu might mean that you are gonna fly to the most dangerous airport in the world, to the Everest region, or going to this beautiful place called Pokhara, or go for another city stroll walk in Kathmandu. There are just so many wonderful things to wake up in, in the wonderful, beautiful country of Nepal. Of course you will uh, go to different places with me in Nepal, to the Everest region and to Pokhara and on the one of the most dangerous flights in the world. So stay with me on this podcast, Glow Tartarina podcast, where you find me on Instagram with the same name. I'm so happy you've been listening. Please give me any kind of feedback or questions and anything you want to listen to. Um, just send me a message. I'm really, really happy and I want this to be an interactive uh, podcast. So I want to hear from you as much as you want to hear from me.